What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Hi, everyone. My name is CT. I'm co-founder of Engage Rocket and the co-host of the HR Impact Show. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about how to build an integrated talent management system. It's my great pleasure to have with me an old friend, Mr. Arkesh Mishra. He's the head of people at Walmart US Tech. Welcome to the show, Arkesh. Hi, CT. It's been a long time. It's so great to reconnect, Arkesh. And tell us a little bit more about what you do. I'm on to my sixth year at Walmart and I'm on to my fifth role. So in this role, CTI lead the people team for the Walmart US tech organization. So Walmart US is our largest retail entity and the tech organization that supports and enables the Walmart US uh, business organization. I lead the people team that works with the tech team. And just to give everyone a sense of the scale of this team, how many people would this be? So we support over 12,000 associates between US, India predominantly, and then we have some associates across Canada and Israel. The overall people partner team that supports uh, all of these geographies will be around 16 to 17. We've got support from the COEs and we've got support from our uh, services teams and so on. So it's, it's a pretty well-synchronized effort. So you've had five roles so far at Walmart, but what is the achievement that you're most proud of? A few years back, we started on this entire journey to start and define our capability framework. What I mean by that is to say, how do we well-defined set of capabilities that help us understand both the functional and technical requirements from a job and as well as, you know, the behavioral requirements. Now, what we essentially did is we took the enterprise version for the behaviors, which is the leadership expectations. And these behaviors are more, they're more of a function of the level at which the associate is. Associate where finance would have the same sort of leadership expectations as an associate who was in technology versus an associate in merchandising, as long as they were on the same level. So that was the base of our framework. On top of that, we built the functional and technical competencies or skills. And what we mean by that is we identified the job families that exist across all of global tech. And for example, let's say if you were to take up a software engineer job family, what are the functional and technical competencies or skills that a software engineer would need to demonstrate across various levels? So things like requirement gathering, scoping analysis, coding, DevOps, uh, maintenance and debugging, things like that. So why it sounds very simple because you've essentially just built out the capability frameworks which will inform your job descriptions. But the beauty of this framework was this then became our common denominator across all of our people practices. Now think about that because I have defined what a software engineer does from a functional and behavioral perspective. And grades from a software engineer to a senior software engineer, a principal software engineer, a director, senior director, and so on. I now have a very well-graded methodology to understand how the capabilities ship as in people move across ladders and as they move across job families. So I've got a very good understanding of them. Now think of these as your Lego blocks. Now you take these Lego blocks and then start to assemble what my job descriptions and what my 
job postings will look like. Now, basis, because I have the common denominator defined using this, I would start to build out what my hiring guides will look like. Because I've got the common denominator defined, I can, what I can do is I can start to link learning very specifically to each role. Now, one of the challenges of making learning pertinent to associates is we need to understand what does a software engineer need to do to move from software engineer to a senior software engineer. Now, I exactly know the learnings that tie back to the competencies and I'm able to tell, you know, what are the learnings required for a software engineer to go from a senior software engineer to a principal software engineer and so on. We also built a very robust promotion process, which includes elements of understanding the readiness of associates for each of the roles, because understand what the destination role is, understand what is the requirement. I build a readiness assessment and the manager uses to assess the readiness of the associate. And we digitalize the entire process. So now think about it this way. You've got the common denominator built on capabilities. And all of these capabilities are then linked to hiring, promotions, and learning. So that is what I would say is an integrated talent management system, where each of my talent decisions all go back to one common platform. And I'm pretty proud of this model. That's super cool. And I know we're going to dive into this in a lot more detail, but very quickly, based on everything that we've spoken about, what is your moonshot goal for next year? When you look at something like a moonshot, I would say this model, we've been constantly evolving the model in terms of how we look at capabilities and how do we constantly refine our processes to make sure that they are transparent, objective, are pertinent to the jobs that are associates to and so on. Now, one of the things I would say, I would not exactly call it a moonshot, but what is aspirational is to understand how is AI getting infused into the way we work, the way we define jobs. So if I was to look at it, the next frontier of what the definition of jobs is going to be, how do we redefine the way we build capabilities across our associates? What do we expect from them? I would say being able to infuse AI both into how we define jobs and capabilities plus the way we work. I'd say that would be the next frontier for us. Last of the rapid fire questions. What is the leadership or HR myth that you wish would just go away? You're talking if I was to talk about an HR myth that would, you know, that I wouldn't say go away, but we should rethink about it. Oftentimes when I interview people, I'd ask them, what got you into HR? And often people would say, oh, I'm very people-centric. I'm very passionate about developing people and so on. But the reality is that your passion for people, in my mind, is a baseline. If we were looking at people within the people function who really rise above and solve problems, they're the ones who truly start to build solutions that actually make people's lives easier, make business problems easier to address from a people perspective and so on. So I would say maybe the popular perception, if you look across, is the people team is more of a governance function. I would say the myth that I would want to go away is it's not a governance function. It's a problem solving function. We are solving problems on a daily basis. And that's what the people function is all about. It's such a great point. And I think it links very nicely to what we're talking about today. When you describe this integrated talent management system, it is truly integrated. And what I love about it is that you started out with all these Lego blocks of capabilities and competencies, which you can then plug in pre-hire to find the right kind of talent, post-hire to develop and grow that talent with all the promotions and everything else. And then even if you have an exit, you'll actually be able to see quite clearly what are then the capabilities that we lack so that we can replace those yeah. capabilities as well. How did you become aware that this was a problem? When we started building out the solution on this, the end state that we reached at was probably not the vision we started with. We started with a very simple problem statement. 
as I started talking to associates and managers alike, one of the most common problems they came across is help us understand how our jobs are actually varying across levels. If I'm a software engineer, I need to know how is my job different from the job at the next level, which is a senior software engineer and so on. Now, and this was the situation like five years back. And when I started listening all of this, I had done similar work in my past life when I was in consulting. And I had built capability frameworks. I had seen you know, the clarity that competencies and skills usually bring to job descriptions. So that was the first problem we started solving. We said, okay, we understand that there is a lack of clarity across levels. There's a lack of clarity across job families. So let's start defining what these job families would entail as competencies and how do these competencies vary across levels. Now, towards that, my past experience as a consultant came in handy because I was able to understand from business leaders their strategies, their operating models, ways of working. And using all of that information, Cheetong, we essentially built all the competencies in-house. So to answer your question, how did all of this start? It started by trying to answer one simple question, saying, how do we provide better clarity to our associates and managers for the jobs that they currently do and for the jobs, let's say, they aspire to be in? So you're looking at this from an HR lens. What was in it for the associates to say, okay, this is a worthwhile problem for us to solve and, and let's work with you to solve this. Yeah. So let me talk about two things. One is, and I'll talk about once we started building this out, we wanted to make sure that what we're building is relevant to the business. And second, I'll talk about the outcomes that the business started experiencing. So to your point, because this was a framework that we were building by the people team. So what we did is once the competencies were created and defined, we actually took these models to associates and managers walk them through the model and said, help us understand what is your takeaway? Do you find it beneficial? And what feedback do you have for us? And we ran over 10 to 12 focus groups of around 200 to 300 associates. So that was fairly exhaustive across a cross-section of associates. Now that gave us a lot of insights in terms of simplifying the framework. That gave us a lot of insights in terms of the change management, the communication and so on. But the overwhelming feedback that we got was these frameworks were actually helping associate for the first time, truly understand what their job entailed and what their job truly looked like. Now to answer the second question, the immediate benefits that we started to see was A, people are very clear in terms of what their roles expected. So hence, it was easier to start setting up more relevant KPIs and measures. The second was, I think this was one of the biggest advantages. It was very lucidly articulated what is required across jobs, across levels. Now, it was easier for people to understand what they could do to actually grow in the firm. Promotion was seen as a black box to say, hey, you know what, they did great work. We need, some people are promoted, some people are not. This is the framework that brought in a lot more transparency and objectivity to say, what is required to be promoted and how do you get promoted? How do you grow in the organization? Did you consider what were the solutions out there prior to this? What do most people do today with regard to piecing together all of this stuff? What happens is when you're trying to put a job description together, you essentially reach out to subject matter experts who understand that job and you get their inputs to say, help me understand like what are the functional requirements of this job and like what skills are required and so on. And usually the behaviors are a function of the level and behaviors are more a function of the overall enterprise. So that is not as customized to the, the functional aspect of the job. And I'm particularly talking about the functional aspect of the job. So you reach out to subject matter experts, get that input and essentially build out a job description. The challenge with that approach is 
when you start to build out these job descriptions by bringing in subject matter experts from various fields, these jobs, they don't stack one above the other. You would pro probably take the principles of software engineer and try and define what it means. However, even if you were to look at a job above and a job below, that does not necessarily mean that the entire job spine is defined to a methodical framework. And what that does is it creates a disruptive way of defining jobs where jobs from one level to another are not connected. And they may or may not be necessarily connected even to your business strategy because you're specifically looking at what the associate does. Now, to your question, when we started this entire work, we did not actually start by asking questions, help us understand what does a software engineer do. We actually started by asking questions around saying, help us understand what is your strategy around software development. Help us understand what are your ways of work. These questions are a lot more broader where it helps us see the bigger picture. And then we cascade it down to start to define what do those specific activities look like. How does the handoff happen between, let's say, a software engineer, operations engineer, or a network engineer, and so on. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. You're a highly skilled consultant prior to this that came in to, to run this process. Do you feel like you need specific skills to do this successfully? Because I, I can imagine that you, you need to bound this problem quite tightly. And I think within your sphere of work, I, I, there's a wide variety of different types of engineers, but at least the kind of work is quite similar. But for most Listeners, I can imagine that they have quite a broad variety of, of different job families and they may or may not have access to the kind of highly skilled consulting experience that you have brought to the table. So how do you think like in, in the wild, like something like this can be replicated? To answer your question, I would say yes and no. There are parts of my job that have required skills from my past life. And there are parts of my job that are predominantly fueled by the basic requirement of wanting to solve problems. And then I'll, I'll give you two examples of that. For example, the work that we talked about, defining skills and so on. Now, that is highly skilled. It's not a, you need to go through those projects, learn those skills and so on. Now, to people who do not have those skills, I would say the first and the most important step, irrespective of that, is identifying what is required. Even if someone does not have these particular skills, once they've identified that this is the requirement, which is the most important part of the project, going out there, looking for competent dictionaries, skills dictionaries, and all of that, and there are a lot of providers of is one way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Of course, to your point, all of this should not be started by boiling the ocean. You should start with a small little pilot and see how that goes, and then take it forward. The second part to answer your question, everything that I've worked across in the last 10 to 15 years of my career, how much of that was highly specialized? I would say a vast majority of that comes from a you know, place of wanting to solve a problem. For example, when we were building out a promotion process, one of the things that we realized was required was being able to expand the catchment of all those people who were being nominated for promotion. And the reason we needed that was to just make sure that managers are not handpicking people for promotions and it's a more objective process and so on. Now, there isn't really a ready-made solution for that. So what we did is we thought about it and we said, let's do this. Every time a manager needs to 
nominate someone from their team for a promotion, what we will do is we'll create a mechanism where they need to assess everybody's readiness on their team for promotion and then only be able to move forward. And what we have seen happen is because we built that gating mechanism, the number of people considered for promotions, that number has gone up. It's created a lot more holistic lens. So that's one of the ways to bring in fairness, bring in objectivity, reduce biases that even we as people are, we may not even be aware of. So I was trying to just give you two examples of things that are required a lot of skills versus things that can be addressed by pure problem solving. What you're saying, the primary driver of success is going to come from the ability to define problems well and carve out creative solutions to address that problem. Having that idea of minimizing your large-scale risk at the beginning by testing at smaller scales and then iterating from those tests when you see successes Sounds like a really replicable process that doesn't require heavy doses of specialized expertise, actually. And then you can pull in the specialized expertise when you need it, but not necessarily at the beginning. And the other thing I took away from what you shared was this doesn't happen overnight. You guys basically had three years, and I think that's pretty fast as it is, but three years to build out to where you guys are today. The build out was within six months, I'm saying took us three years to build out the overall integrated talent management system. And what role did technology play in all of this? So I'll take one particular process from the talent management system, which is the promotion process. So when we started the process, we started with Excel sheets. You would send out an assessment, manager would key in their input, send it back to you and, you know, collect all of those assessment sheets, sort of view them and say, this goes through, that doesn't go through and so on. And I mean, it was painful for everybody involved in the process, managers, people, partners, and so on. So we said, this is not a sustainable, not a scalable model. We have got, we have thousands of people going through promotion. We said, okay, so let's figure out a solution in terms of that would work out. And Walmart has a principle of EDLC, which is everyday low cost. And, and I'll give you an example, which you talked about, which is scaling up and eventually, right? So the first operationalization of the framework was through Excel sheets. The second operation of that was actually using something that Microsoft provides, which is called Power Apps. So my team, some of them went online and actually taught themselves how to build workflows, digital workflows using no code. So these are zero code, no code digital workflows. So essentially now you have an entire workflow on our browser where you go in, nominate associates and virtual readiness assessments, calibrations and so on. So that was the second stage. And so that's where technology started to come in and it started to take away all the pains of running everything on Excel sheets, on emails and so on. Now, there was an initial amount of euphoria from our users, from managers and people partners saying, oh my God, no more Excel sheets, blah, blah, blah. But then that euphoria eventually in the next cycle went down because then they realized this app is actually not that fast you know, because maybe the platform was not built for the scale that you were using it for. So that's where we again leveraged technology and we brought in software developers now because all of this has worked and we understand workflow really well. And that's where we said, okay, so now we brought in our software developers and we started to build it out on a more permanent platform where it's moved to finally and which is its final house. And that platform has got amazing UX, seamless usage, and the feedback is amazing from managers and people partners alike. And I would think that's our final technological destination. And that's made things a lot more simpler, a lot more easy to use. And the other big advantage that technology provides is if we want to experiment something, we can do it a lot quicker and a lot faster. The 
flip side of this is if the process was flawed and we digitalized it, then we are essentially running the flawed process at a much faster pace and creating probably more errors. But thankfully, we tested the process for a period of time for almost two years before we digitalized completely. I, I think that's a really important lesson that much as we love technology and, and the new efficiencies that it can bring us, if, if our process is broken, making a broken process more efficient just makes the brokenness more efficient. <laughs> We're coming close to the end of time. What is one key takeaway that you would want to share with other HR leaders who are approaching their organizations and thinking about like the different problems that are available to solve? Because every single listener, I'm pretty sure, if you ask them what's their top 10 problems, they could give you a list of 100 problems. Absolutely. So how do you, what's one key takeaway that you would share with them on nailing yeah. like one or two of these key things? I would say these days, design thinking has gone out of home and it's not the end thing, but I have truly loved design thinking. And I'll tell you the aspects of it that I've loved. The thing is, to your earlier questions around like what we built, how did we know it was relevant to the business? I would say the most important thing is if we were to pick a problem, that problem truly resonates with the most pains that the business wants to address. That's one. Second is through the process of building a solution, it's important that we not just bring the business in as advisors and as people who are involved in building solution, but also we keep testing the solution with the stakeholders to whom the solution is going to be. So I think with these two being used in a, in a reiterative way would make sure that the solutions that we build are actually on track and are actually creating the impact that we wanted to create. Those would be my two giveaways. Yeah, I, I love that. Very actionable. If any of our listeners ever want to contact you to try to understand your process a little bit better, what's the best way for them to do? They can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thank you so much for hanging with us today, Arkesh. And for those of you listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. Please head on over to www.engagerocket.co slash hrimpact and join our HR Impact community where you can get more content like this to listen to and to download. My name has been CT. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.